How no. can I be sure that it's working? If if the it, if the things like make the it green, a little like the, sound the green waves. indicator is responding to my voice, so like yeah, okay, exactly. Yeah, you see sound yeah. waves, yeah. I, and the red line is moving to the right, and blue is yeah. being recorded. All good. Yeah, brilliant. Perfecto. Okay, um, let me get up this intro. And welcome back to another episode of Rupture Radio, a weekly podcast offering a look at news, politics and culture from a socialist perspective. I'm Jessie Kelly, and I will be back again as host this week for another one of our news panels where we take some of the key stories from the last couple of weeks and rip into them and yeah, give out loads. It's very cathartic. Um, I'm joined. You, sh- you too should set up a podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. I'm telling you. Um, I'm joined again by regulars Paul Murphy. Hello. And I, we're joined by Des Henley again, another member of Rise and also the editor of Rupture Magazine. How are you, Des? I'm very well. Glad to be here. Great. Um, yeah. So before we jump into things, just we want to take a second to thank those who have signed up to support us on Patreon. Um, and we want to give a special shout out to Carl, um, who has signed up to our top tier. Um, so shout out to you, Carl, you're dead sound. Um, those who support us on Patreon help keep the show on the road and they also get bonus content, including like Q&A stuff that we're going to be recording after this that we just found out we're not getting paid over time to do, which is a scandal in itself. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, if you've been enjoying the podcast, do consider signing up for the Patreon. Um, and to those who have signed up already, yeah, thank you so much. If you want to buy a, as a Christmas present for someone, you know, everyone's into those presents that aren't actually presents when you just get an email saying that someone's bought you a subscription to Rupture <laughs> Radio, which is, I think, a great present. Don't oversell <laughs> and, it there. And sustainable. <laughs> um, yeah, you can go to uh, patreon.com forward slash Rupture Radio. Um, so yeah, the new issue of Rupture magazine is out. Des, how is that going? Um, this issue is on healthcare. Are you relaxing after releasing it, or is there gonna is it a rush to get the next episode out or next uh, issue out? Yeah, well, it's pretty intense indeed. The final two or three weeks to get it over the line, um, but we kind of go straight into planning the the next edition because you know we got to work around the Christmas break mm. uh, this time around. So we're already well into planning the third issue, talking to uh, the contributors and people who uh, some ex- interesting external authors that we're hoping will contribute to it. So yeah, we're well into it now. That you know, it's not the same intensity as the as it will be in the final few weeks. But yeah, we're we're on it. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, and Paul, what have you been up to in the doll this week? What has your been your What have you been working on? Or <clears throat> Well, we had all the stuff around Seamus Wolf the last couple of weeks, which kind of ended in just being blocked by the like the most ridiculous interpretation of standing orders ever, which like without going into people like <laughs> arcane doll rules, um, it just was really, really obvious that the rules said that you could put in a motion to impeach. Uh, to remove the judge, and it had to be taken to like start the process or not, and you had people who had to vote on it. Um, and they just like reinterpreted the rules in the most ridiculous, nonsensical way to say, "Oh no, you can't do that." 
And it's interesting that's the second time that's happened to us. Mm -hmm. And like officially, we still have a case in the high court about the other time. Um, but like it just goes on and on and on and like it just it's like the tiniest example it's obviously like relative to big things that have happened in history it's not that big mm -hmm. but that like the rules are stacked against the left the system isn't fair um, and things would be interpreted to try and stop you like hold Seamus Wolf accountable mm -hmm. um, and I guess the other big big thing um, in the last week which I think has been very positive has been the government is under real pressure over the student nurses issue and refusing yeah. to pay student nurses and that came about I mean it was interesting because normally you, you kind of your plan for a campaign would be to build up big pressure from below and then finally bring a motion um, to kind of push it over the line hopefully in terms of pressure on the government um, but in this case in fairness people for profit did really good work they've had loads of meetings with over 100 student nurses really good organising the INMO is doing work on it and Solidarity People for Profit so the collective group put forward a motion last week which everyone in the opposition voted for, which is interesting because there's a bunch of like awful reactionaries in the opposition who vote with the government most of the time. But such was the pressure on them that they voted with us. And so it was a five vote gap with all of Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael and the Greens voting against. But then they, they've come under massive pressure, I think, afterwards. And it's emerged as a very, very big issue. So that's kind of our big focus this week and next week, which is the last week of the doll, to try and maximise the pressure keep pressure from below and to try to get a victory on it. Well, yeah, I think that's the thing with this thing with the student nurses and everything. Like, it's just such a basic, like, question. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's it's so weird that there would be any debate about this. You know, like, it's just, like, even like you're saying, like, you know, maybe some of the more, like, right-wing independent stuff like that, they're even like, you know, this is a no-brainer. Of course, student nurses should be paid. It's just, like, total, like, respect. Just, like, <laughs> do you know? And, like, one thing that's been consistent throughout the pandemic, obviously it shows like, you know, that like Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil, the Greens don't actually, never actually believed it, but everyone can agree on like frontline workers being the heroes of the pandemic and what would we do without them? We don't, you know, mm -hmm. no one, we wouldn't be here. And just like this idea that there was a vote taken on this and it, it was just so unbelievable. Like, oh God, I just can't even get over it. It just seems... It seems crazy. Like I was telling my German housemaid about it and she was like, wait, so they're like getting these people to risk their lives, their families' lives, um, work 12 hour shifts and then pay them nothing. Like, like how does that compute? Like, it's just craziness. I mean, they, they try and justify it and it's interesting. Like they've kind of got their story together this week. So yeah. we had like Tishok's questions with Neil Martin there and he's, he's got a coherent line now, which is that, you know, his line is that no student nurses shouldn't be doing work um, while they're in education. And really, this is all education. And by trying to pay them for the work that they're actually doing, well, then you're undermining what they're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, you're undermining their education. But it's, it's, it's not dealing with one, like the reality. Yeah. And like we have just like case after case after case of people contacting us explaining the work that they're doing. Um, so in first, second and third year, they get paid nothing um, while working student nurses. Um, in fourth year, they get paid something when they make a big deal that we do pay fourth years, but they don't even pay the minimum wage. Mm -hmm. And the kind of cases with people basically looking after, sent into nursing homes during the first wave of the COVID crisis, um, left on their own in maternity hospitals as student midwives and yeah. dealing with, with people um, in all sorts of like, you know, tragic situations. Mm -hmm. And like, it's very clear that they are filling in the gaps in a completely underfunded health service. And, um, 
the government simply doesn't want to pay them. One funny thing today was that earlier on, he, he, Neil Martin was giving out, he was saying that motion, your motion is to trying to divide people in here. It's trying to push people into one set of politicians in a corner and another set in another oh, corner. Fuck, you oh. know, and it's this like kind of <laughs> Simon Harris love bombing language. And it, like, there's a great thing I tweeted, like which loads of people, which is a video from him, like six months ago saying we have to respect our student nurses let's pay yeah. our student nurses you know but like this idea that like, oh the left is bringing in division by insisting that like no we're in favour of you paying them yeah. and we, if you're not going to pay them we're going to make you vote against them and like own it like you know and that's like it's divisive politics like, that's terrible you shouldn't be doing that it's just madness like the Again, like seeing like the Greens come out on Twitter with mm-hmm. like a thread Th- of you know thirteen line threads, like yeah. <laughs> thread forty five out of two hundred and thirty two <laughs> as why these people should not be paid for doing the work. <laughs> like you know, it's just insane. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, uh, they're unbelievable. Um, I think it is very indefensible for them. I think their situation is getting worse this week. Because of they've just they had a meeting the cabinet meeting this morning signed off on a two percent pay rise for judges. So the way they again they're like spin on this as well it's across the board public sector pay rise. But actually the cabinet has to specifically vote to increase the pay of judges. So like that's say if you if you're a Supreme Court judge as for example Seamus Wolf is the Supreme Court judge and mm. um, you're already on over two hundred grand a year two percent pay increase is four grand a year. They find the money for that. It'd be very politically divisive if we were to say they shouldn't be paid. Do you know what I mean? From the point of view of the government, and they find money for that, no problem. But they can't find the money for sure, student nurses. Didn't they increase the funding for greyhound racing earlier in the year? <laughs> like, oh yeah, that's a priority that's right. here. Like, you know, um, I, yeah, I think like looking at it in the bigger picture as well, like not just as like one one case, or whatever, but just like generally, um, how like these sort of roles are seen in society and stuff like that. I think that's the biggest thing that's come into play with the pandemic and stuff of like these care jobs and stuff like that, that usually are underfunded, underpaid, like the nurses were on strike last year, you know, in general, um, before all of this happened and stuff like that. Um, And it just goes to show that like, yeah, we give them a clap and we call them heroes without capes or whatever the fuck cringy line Leo said. Um, But then actually when it comes down to it, they're not valued at all. And like, I was reading about like, um, you know, like say a different type of job or whatever, but it's similar in the way that, you know, it's needed and sometimes it's like important or whatever is like the guards get full like pay when they're training. They get accommodation, Mm -hmm. they get food paid for, they get everything paid for while they're training to become a guard. Um, And that just sends a message out to people that like the guardy are more valued than the nurses and that's exactly what it is. You know what I mean? It's like, that's in no way, like it's just blatant the way they have done it now. And they've just made the statement. Yeah. I saw a tweet a couple of days ago saying that if nurses would run in a circle chasing a fake hair, they'd get paid. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Oh my <laughs> and, God. Uh, like, you no, know, it's just, you know, with it, the Greyhound money. And then, you know, it was astonishing today to, to see the pay increases going through. And I think in relation to some, uh, parliamentary, is it, um, whip uh, payments mm-hmm. as well going through and whether it's you know just the, the level of um contempt and and disconnect has reached such a level that they would do that within days of the vote in relation to the nurses is just mm-hmm. astonishing like so twitter was just alive again today just uh, after after that vote and it all so uh, yeah they they you know they they seem to have just decided to 
um, push on with these things and, and, and you know, push through in terms of uh, the public response to it. it. It no longer seems to matter to them. It'll, it'll get them in the end, but, you know, for now, they, they just carry on regardless. One of, the, one of the things, one of the, one of the tweets in the, like, you know, 200 million part thread about, yeah. as you're talking about the green thread about how they shouldn't have voted for it, was they picked, so that they went through the motion and there was a particular line which correctly highlighted the fact that it's disproportionately women, as you're saying, um, who are affected by this exploitation. And this TD, Stephen Matthews, was like, we couldn't pass an emotion which describes it as exploitation. That would have serious consequences, mm-hmm. which is just nonsense. That's not true. There, there aren't any, unfortunately, there aren't any legal consequences if you pass a motion. It's just the view of the doll. Yeah. Um, and like, what else do you call working for free? Mm-hmm. But it's interesting mm-hmm. that like he highlighted the point that was actually highlighting the reality, the point that you're making, that like this is, again, about exploitation of yeah. women in particular. And like, so obviously... You know, there are both male and female um, student nurses and student midwives, and they are all exploited when they're made work for free. Mm-hmm. But like, like you're saying, it isn't an accident that like, it's like a feminized profession right. and it is undervalued in society and underpaid. And yeah. it's linked to kind of, kind of social reproduction tasks, the reproduction of labor power, be it in terms of childcare, teaching, nurses... Um, homework, housework, all that stuff in capitalist society. Capitalism, like especially neoliberal capitalism, relies on all that stuff to be kind of done either for free or for super cheap, kind of in a mm-hmm. privatized way, and it deliberately undervalues it. And that is a part of it. Like, and one of the reasons they don't want to concede on this is that they conceded on the student nurses in the first wave, and in a way, that's what's created this problem for them. You know, because like they just couldn't resist the pressure. It's like it's too obvious these people are putting their lives at risk. So now they're trying to hold the line because it is the case that there are also other students who are also involved in like actually, you know, mm-hmm. real work while they're students who should also be paid for it, but they really don't want to, to go there on that. Well, that's the thing. It's like a bit like it just reminds me of, you know, starting a new job and they're like, yeah, you need to come in for a full eight hours of um, a trial or whatever. And it's like, mm-hmm. you, yeah. can, you can decide in the first 20 minutes whether I'm good enough for the job or not. You know, you don't need me to say eight hours. You're just trying to get like that extra bit of free labor out of me. And it's like the same thing on a bigger scale, do you know? And it's like something that become, is becoming more and more normalized. Like you're supposed to just be happy to accept like internships and, you know, experience mm-hmm. and all this sort of thing or whatever. And this is just like an addition to that kind of like normalization of free labor. Um, of people working for absolute shit money, even no money, you know, and this is supposed to be, oh, they're heroes, aren't they? Like, you know, it's just absolutely yeah. gross, like, the way they do it. And part of that heroes narrative is also, like, I do think, like, heroes don't get paid, you know? It's, yeah. it's like, again, part of social reproduction being undervalued. It's like, oh, it's, it's a vocation. Oh, you, you must really... Like I saw, I saw a teacher on Facebook during the week being like, oh, you must really, you must not do it for the money. He was like, no, I do do it for the money. Do you know what I mean? It's a job. I get paid for it. I want to be paid for my work. Like, as opposed to I do it for the love of the job, et cetera. And obviously, like many people do do it for the love of the job. That's good. It's positive. Yeah. But like this, this whole notion of like heroes and vocation and all that is all about like kind of justifying the fact that we don't pay people properly for the like extremely important jobs that they do uh, well, in terms yeah. of society they're not directly creating profit but they're really benefiting society yeah just my mother was a nurse and there was she was very hard to trigger <laughs> um but one of the things that would trigger her was that thing of nursing being a vocation she absolutely hated that and uh she she went over to England. She trained as a nurse in the NHS uh, over in, in England and worked there for, 
for 20 years. Um, but she particularly noticed that whole vocation thing when she came back to mm-hmm. Galway um, and started working in the uh, University Hospital Galway as it was then. And she was a theatre theater nurse there for years. Mm-hmm. But she, she, you know, got a lot of it there, the whole vocation thing. And the nuns' influence was still pretty strong at that stage. Um, but she and was that a big that contrast with the, with the NHS? In the NHS, it was much clearer that people were workers and yeah, so yeah, on. A- absolutely, okay. yeah, yeah. The whole vocation thing. She, you know, she never got it mm-hmm. uh, working mm-hmm. in the NHS, but it was you know something that was frequent when she came back was working in Galway. Well, yeah, it's like similar to the issue we were talking about before with like the postgrads in Ireland, you know, not getting paid or whatever. And it's like, well, you know, you're supposed to love teaching, and this is, like, and, mm-hmm. and a lot of them do, you know. And that's like what my friend was saying. He was like. I do enjoy the teaching aspect of it and everything like that. But like, if I can't afford food, it's very hard to like fulfill yeah. your kind of dream of being a teacher or a nurse or whatever. Do you know what I mean? If, you, if you're worrying about paying rent and stuff, like imagine living on 50 euro a week for expenses and they're paying mm-hmm. fees on mm-hmm. top of that. So they're paying to work for free. Like that's supposedly supposed to be fair. Like, you know, it's just like absolute madness. I, I do hope like, yeah, like you're saying, Paul, the pressure keeps up. Um, I know the INMO have a petition and stuff like that that they're yeah. going around and um, they have their demands listed out, which is good. It's good that there is some union that are willing to stand up, you know, and kind of take this as well. Or like they have, it's kind of been an ongoing issue, like we were saying, and since they went on strike last year as well and stuff like that. So, And they have already, I mean, they've been forced to give one concession. I don't think... It's kind of materially very substantial, mm-hmm. but which is this payment of the pandemic unemployment payment. So it's not what the people are looking for, but it's a sign that they are under pressure where you're, you're now not allowed, if you're a student nurse, you're not allowed to work in another job because of the real danger of, of transmitting COVID, yeah. the COVID in and out. Like, um, So they've agreed now that those people can benefit from the PUP. But I think if you get the grant, you can't access it. And you've had to have worked in certain months and so on. So the actual number of people mm-hmm. to benefit is quite small, but it is an indication that they are really feeling the heat on this issue. So I just would, you know what I mean? I, I think it's, it's this interesting phenomenon that's happened, I think, with COVID and people paying attention to politics and also the way the votes are all happening because of COVID now on like a Wednesday night. On like a Wednesday night, TDs tweet pictures of like bad stuff that the government's voting for. And then like people are like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> and in a way, people are more like aware of it, I think, than previously. And it kind of becomes this thing. And so initially people were like, you know, d- disappointed and potentially demoralized, but definitely don't be like that. Um, we can yeah. definitely still win <laughs> yeah. on this one. No, definitely. It's like, it's a possible win is what you're saying, you know, if we keep the pressure up so that it's, that could definitely be good. Um, is there any other stories that stood out to people this week? Yeah, well, there's a few things I was looking at, but the one I kind of landed on was uh, the publication maybe about a week ago by the Environmental Protection Agency. Mm-hmm. They published their uh, integrated assessment report for 2020. So this is a report that they do at four-year intervals. And I think it's the seventh such report. Um, and it's interesting now, like, it's a very big report. It's, you know, weighs in at about 450 pages, I think, is in it. But it's it's actually very interesting. It's a, a really good resource in terms mm-hmm. of um, its factual content and in, you know, and a lot of its analysis. You know, there, there are substantial chapters in there on climate changes, as you would expect, air quality, land and soil, natural environment, water quality, and, and, and other chapters as well, all of which uh, are really good. So it's definitely worth 
while for people, particularly anyone who wants to have a kind of library of reference material, it's, it's something well worth having. Um, if you're having a row with your anti-climate change <laughs> parents at Christmas or something, yeah, good to have some yeah, facts before yeah, going yeah. in. <laughs> you, could, you, could, you can you can definitely draw upon yeah. that, um, you know. But it uh, so it's very good in terms of its fa- factual content and some of its analysis. But it, you know, as as you would kind of expect, really, uh, in terms of a government uh, agency, it's mm-hmm. it's pretty weak then when it comes to what needs to be done. But I mean, I'm. A, just to take a couple of minutes just to give, you know, a, a sense of what was in there. I mean, in terms of the overall assessment with the report, probably one one of the lines was that the, the outlook is not optimistic, you know, and mm. there's a lot of that kind of somewhat understated language. Mm. Um, yeah, that's that, what that, I was thinking, uh, reading through yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You know, that, that's what, you know, the outlook is like, not optimistic. Ireland isn't doing very well in terms yeah, of climate change. Yeah, yeah. I was like, this understatement yeah. of the fucking year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And but there's stuff like I mean, almost ninety percent of of our, our energy uh, our energy in Ireland is still mm-hmm. generated by fossil fuels that produce greenhouse gases. You know, ninety percent yeah. still at this stage. Um, it was an interesting one around uh, r- river conditions. So they they measured the number of river sites sites where they um, test water, and you know the, the last time they did this uh, when they did it thirty years ago, they found. 500 river sites with what they called pristine water conditions. When they did it now, it was down to just 20, you know, from, mm. from 530 years ago, which is a, a shocking um, deterioration in the era when we're supposed to be, you know, much more aware of our ecology and our environment and doing much more about it. That, that was a shocking fall. And, um, and it's estimated that about 1,300 people uh, have die prematurely because of uh, uh, poor air quality con- conditions yeah. so um you know that that that's uh, pretty shocking in this day and age as well um and there's a, there's a couple of sections i might just just read a couple of ch- uh, sentences here that i think are quite striking uh, it talks about ireland does not reach targets in a number of environmental directives this include not meeting reduction targets set for greenhouse gas emissions. Rescue plans are now needed for our remaining high-status water bodies to halt their decline. Water quality in our rivers especially has deteriorated over the past four years, and estuaries now have the lowest water quality ranking overall when compared with the targets. Mm. Um, It talks about biodiversity and being at risk because of habitat loss and damage says that unspoiled areas are being squeezed out, pristine waters are being lost, and the habitats that provide vital spaces for biodiversity are diminishing. The thing that strikes me with that is just like the fact that this hasn't even been in the news, you know what I mean? Like as in that this is just like these things you're reading out are so kind of like you say shocking and just um, yeah like really really striking and I don't really see any anyone covering this or anything like that you know? No, I I just ha- stumbled on it, um, mm. you know, and certainly, and, and and I don't actually recall any seeing any mainstream media coverage mm-hmm. at all. I went looking for it and, and found it eventually, but, but that's the, really uh, shocking, isn't it? Just yeah, like yeah. nothing, like yeah, yeah. And so, you know, what was striking, and I focused on the climate change bit in, in particular, um, 
and you know and it talks it has one of these kind of red orange yellow warning systems and mm-hmm. and climate is actually the uh, is ranked at a red level because uh, uh ranked has been very poor um just, and that um you know that that very urgent action is going to be required if society is going to reach the targets of carbon neutral by 2050 and then i thought that was particularly interesting as well that it's a report that's saying we're doing really, really badly and we're doing really badly on climate change. Yeah. But that's against a benchmark of carbon yeah. neutral by 2050. 2050. Yeah. And, and, you know, on 2050 just simply it's is, is, not, is, is, yeah. is, is not, going to, uh, uh, not going to do it. So kind of within that is the, the major weakness of the, of the report, mm-hmm. really. And that um, because 2050, you've you got to look at where that came from. That That's... You know, is that the the centre of the Paris Accord, mm-hmm. which was signed? It's just coming up to five years since since that was was set, and you know, and, and from that, you know, it's in the European Green Deal, it's in the, our own government's program for government, because at, at that point, at the time, you know, the period leading up to the, the Paris Accord, it, it was believed, and it was probably even a bit optimistic then, but it was believed that you could, you know, keep um, average global temperature increases above pre-industrial levels to no more than 1.5 degrees centigrade mm-hmm. um, uh, whilst getting to carbon neutral by 2050. Um, but what has happened, certainly since the Paris Accord and is accelerating, is more and more evidence that you know 2050 is not going to be it because we are moving towards 1.5 degrees centigrade yeah. uh, very rapidly. Well, one thing just to shout out for people is to sign the Fix the Bill um, petition mm-hmm. online about the Climate Action Bill, um, which is a very strong petition. I'm involved in this coalition to, to fix the bill, which is arguing for a 2030 decarbonisation, full decarbonisation uh, target, as opposed to 2050, as well as improving the language, which is shockingly bad. I think we've talked about it before in the podcast, but it's it's about, it's like pursue net zero by 2050 as opposed to achieve it even like and anyway so one shout out for that um if people definitely go online sign it use the hashtag fix the bill um but i mean one thing that struck me in the report um like a positive is the statement that the the overarching message from this report is that system-wide change is now ne- needed in how we look after our environment it's quite striking you know obviously what people mean by system change and yeah. like they're a bit restricted in what they can say but still and then the other thing that strike me and it does strike me a lot when you read reports like this is um we and and kind of everyone is rightly focused on the climate crisis in particular Mm -hmm. but we should also remember that like that is one of a series of crises in our environment do you know what i mean so like the water quality is not really directly related to that biodiversity is not directly related to that but these are like galloping crises in our kind of biosphere and our relationship with nature which is just like like it's all coming like do you know what i mean it's mm-hmm. all in a state of extreme crisis and fundamentally it's really rooted in like capitalist models of agriculture being a b- big thing and capitalist models of like production and the role mm-hmm. of profit and and do you know what i mean i mean you see these reports that say oh things are bad like it's just like it, presumably just like with climate you hit a certain tipping point in terms of mm-hmm like biodiversity and species lost and so on because like if you lose like a species down at the bottom of the food chain well then like it has an impact all the way 
up. Well, yeah, I don't know. Like the EPA, um, I don't know about you. I still have an image of, you know, the Simpsons movie and like, EPA, EPA. I don't know if you know that at all. EPA, EPA, EPA. <laughs> Which bit is that? Really? This is movie? Cargill? You know the Simpsons movie? Have you not seen it? I'm sure. Oh, well, yeah. Russ Cargill's like the villain in it and he's like the head of the EPA and that's why Springfield gets blown up and, or nearly gets blown up or whatever because it's like really bad for the environment um, and it's like got the highest emissions out of any um, town in the US or whatever so they have to put like a dome over it and they just close off Springfield to everyone else or whatever so it's like problem solved, you know? But Russ Cargill is like the head of the EPA and he's like the evil villain of the movie or whatever. Um, I literally, I'm thinking of the EPA, I just think of him. <laughs> so I don't know Fair if enough. anyone else is the same. Um, but like, yeah, I don't know. I think like the EPA in general, like a lot of the stuff I was reading about this report is like a lot of talks about like self-regulation and like, let's build a sustainable future and economy. Yeah, <laughs> and kind of like very much like, you know, tweaking capitalism to make it slightly greener um, and maybe just about hit some targets. But, you know, nothing actually that's going to like guarantee yeah long-lasting life on this planet you know so like yeah. i kind of yeah. get that feeling that they're very much um yeah there's a, there's a lot of imploring you know everybody to try harder we must mm-hmm. solve this together right yeah. um and you know and not surprisingly you know there's there's just no uh dealing with the issue around growth and you know and obviously mm-hmm. capital accumu- accumulation that, that that we talk about a lot uh, and, and recognizing that you know it, it is the drive to you know for GDP growth and more specifically within that capital accumulation is is the problem here because mm-hmm. you know you've got there's only two ways of accumulating capital it's from you know human labor and from natural resources mm-hmm. and you know the the you know the the, the natural resources needed to grow the economy on average 3% a year, year on year, on year is, which is, you know, the long-term trend for capitalism is a huge strain. You know, that doubles the economy um, mm-hmm. or doubles capital every 24 years or so. So, so yeah, that, that is a, a massive strain. And, and that, that point about, you know, the, the tone of the EPA, EPA report, which is kind of understated, you know, some good facts, but then understated yeah. and quite w- weak on what needs to be done in response. And I, I just, just in contrast, there was a, a really interesting letter published two days ago, um, signed by t- a little over 250 of you know senior academics and climate scientists, um, and it was published in a, a lot of different newspapers. But the, the, the key point of their letter was that <clears throat> I'll read a section of what they said there is that after five years failing to reduce emissions in line with the Paris Accord. We must now face the consequences. While bold and fair efforts to cut emissions and naturally draw down carbon are, are essential, researchers in many areas consider societal collapse a credible scenario mm-hmm. this century. Now that, like, you know, what you know, was mm-hmm. an incredibly strong statement from you know many of the world's leading climate scientists. Mm-hmm. So you know, in this century, in the lifetime of many, even most of the people alive now, will be you know on the descent towards that societal collapse, you know, very much a credible scenario as they're, as they are saying. So that's, you know, and that's what, you know, you know, 2050 just effectively denies all that, you know, delays all all. that, allows people to pretend that they're taking action. 
when in fact, you know, we're much further down the tracks. And just another one I noticed that the, the World Meteorological Organization um, issued a statement in within the last few days saying that the average global temperature in 2020 is going to come out at about 1.2 degrees centigrade above pre-industrial levels. You know, so it's, it's well on the way already. Mm-hmm, and they're saying mm-hmm. there's a one in five chance that uh, in one of the years between now and 2024 that uh, the average global temperature for that year will reach 1.5. So, mm-hmm. um, and many of the models are saying that we will be at uh, the average of 1.5 by 2030. And that, you know, mm-hmm. and 1.5 is a big deal because... It's that point that the world is really moving into dangerous and potentially catastrophic runaway climate change. It, you know, the, 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 the risk of the worst case scenarios uh, start to increase exponentially at that point. So, um, you know, so that sense of urgency that I thought was very interesting, that letter mm-hmm. just doesn't come through in the EPA report. Yeah, exactly. it, like I say, great for facts, some good analysis, good reference material, but doesn't give the urgency of the situation that we're in. Mm-hmm. Eamon, Eamon Ryan had a had a thing the other day, I don't know if you saw it, saying oh God, that I don't know. walking Which in, thing? Which thing? <laughs> well, so walking and cycling, cycling infrastructure is the backbone of the just transition. Oh, it's yeah. like a self-parody, you know, oh. of the Greens. Like they try and denude the concept of the just transition, which is about like ordinary people, workers are not responsible, small farmers, they're not responsible for this crisis, they shouldn't pay the price for it. Mm-hmm. Um, they just like it's just now just transition apparently just means cycle lanes and walking infrastructure and like I'm all for cycle lanes we're all for yeah. walking yeah, infrastructure but it's, just... but it's no it has nothing to do with the just transition or very 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 little to do with just transition <laughs> like it's really yeah. bizarre like but sure I saw that headline just... as well it was like since the Greens have been in power climate action has slowed, slowed. in Ireland right, since yeah. they yeah, have yeah, taken yeah. their seat and like we have to be inside to fight climate change it's like yeah. ah it's just insane yeah I was actually thinking um, because you know this week that Spotify wrapped came out and everything like that and everyone's looking back at their year and all their biggest hits and stuff like that I thought we'd do the same for the government actually since it started in July Um, there's literally too many things to name I don't we can't even go into all of it again we've covered a lot of it on the podcast throughout the last few months but like if you actually, we when you write it down in a list, it's so weird. Like how many, how many scandals this government has had since it started, like in July, and it seems like years ago as well. When you remember way back into, remember the drunk driving scandal with Barry Cowan, and you know how funny it was well, he, and everything. He like follows that. me on Twitter. He started following me on Twitter about a month ago or so. I felt it was very ominous when I saw Barry Cowan now following <laughs> really? me on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so every time I do like. A tweet that's like only, you know, a small number of people on the left would understand what it's about. I'm always like, I wonder what Barry Cowan thinks about the tweet. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he's, he's waiting in the some, long grass. Or the, yeah. yeah, maybe he's having some sort of spiritual journey, you know. Maybe he's going to come out on the left before the end of 2020. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I thought we would just run through some of our the greatest hits of this government so far just to show like, you know, just to be a bit reflective, because that's what you do at this time of year, isn't it? And you have to look back. Um, so yeah, Barry Cowan, drink driving, causing him to resign after he after his scandalous um, employment anyway as the minister, without you know the minister for the West not being a thing and everything like that. So as soon as he resigns, then Derek Hallery gets in, minister for the West. Finally, you know everything is good. 
Scarfgate happens immediately, making Derek <laughs> resign as well, um, leading to the resignation of also Phil Hogan and then this whole Seamus Wolf thing that's now going on as well. Um, this is all still August, by the way, so this is <laughs> we're, we're not even close to um, getting to where we are now. Then it was the outbreaks in the meat plants, which led to the lockdown in certain countries and stuff like that. Um, and how, yeah, that showed up, you know, the governments were all in this together. Then it was Minister Darcy, you know, the whole um, breaking the rules to um, about the lobbying, becoming corporate lobbyists and stuff like that, which is the theme of this year. Um, then that was September. September is actually quiet, which, you know, that was that was the only scandal of that month, which they were doing well. Um, then we moved but into... All, but it all had to come back early because of... Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because of golf case. Yeah, I would know. I would know that because I'd come back early. Yeah, you were sick of I was. I was going to say as well. If anyone's listening and they have, if we're skipping anything or anything like that, definitely do write us because we can actually collate all of these fuckups together. Um, then it was when NFET released the four week lock, or they said we should go into the lockdown, um, and then the government said no, and then two weeks later they said yes again. <laughs> I flip flop back on that. Um, then we had, and then they had to do six weeks, and they yeah. didn't get it down half as much as they would have. Um, yeah, and they had the whole the wet pubs, the dry pubs. Oh God, it's like this nightmare just doesn't end. Um, then to top that off, we had the mother and baby home scandal coming in at the end of October with the vote on that, which you know actually as well I forgot as well the voting against the working wage for workers, Eamon Ryan falling mm-hmm. asleep. How did I forget that classic? That happened back in like August, I think, or yeah, I don't know. Um, and then moving into the more recent stuff, Leo the Leak, we had um, Dr. Zero Crack, the scandal around the NAGP and the lobbyist uh, Sippo. And now we are dealing with the Wolf scandal. Paul's still on the suing Pursuit. <laughs> I'm on the scent. Um, <laughs> Some sort of wolf joke there, huh? Ah, oh, nice, nice. <laughs> You've taken down a few Paul throughout this year. It's, in fairness to you, you should be, you know, you should get some sort of um, badge for how many ministers you've taken out. Or <laughs> yeah. well, what one angle I, I noticed go, go, when all that was going on was that Barry Cowan was one of the first people to come out to support Varadkar when yeah. Varadkar was in trouble. I just thought, you know, you know, what promise have you got about getting back into cabinet there? There's something going on there. I thought that really like caught my attention within that whole this, mess, yeah. you know. Yeah, I think, he's, 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 I think he's, decided, he's decided to kind of go for the image of like, oh, well... You know what I mean? Aren't haven't we all sinned? You know what I mean? Name yeah, yeah. whatever that phrase is. Who we amongst you have not? You wasn't. <laughs> yeah, like I think that is. I think that's that's kind of the vibe he's going for, and he's also going for um, he's going for a kind of semi-COVID conspiracy kind of vibe, like not full on like Michael McNamara, but like uh, kind of he's all about like ah, sure, it's too much. Your people can't be doing all this. Like he's like, and then people like Owen Murphy actually like oh, there should be a scandal about Owen Murphy. Like well, Owen Murphy is is. It's he's very close one. to full-on COVID conspiracy he, now, like, you know. A, he's due one. <laughs> it's, it's horrendous, like, um, what well, the kind of stuff he comes into the doll now. The only thing he ever speaks on in the doll was a debate about domestic violence, and he used it to speak about COVID, you know? Really? And, right. and about how we shouldn't, how, about how, and domestic violence has gone up with, with COVID, yeah. but yeah. his answer to that is not to provide the necessary supports for people, but is to say we shouldn't have, we shouldn't yeah. be following the public health oh, guidelines. And it's like, you know, yeah. the, all these people, like, 
like mental health. Mental health just means open the pubs yeah. for like a huge number of people. There's a there's a motion on the on the bill on the order paper this week in the doll on mental health. And I thought it was originally from the rural group. It was actually from the rural, the regional independent group who maybe mm-hmm. aren't quite as bad. They're pretty bad. Yeah. But it, if it was from the rural independent group, it was actually going to be about opening the pubs, but being called about mental health. Because that's like these people who have never talked about mental health, never talked about domestic violence in their life mm-hmm. when it comes to like some private profits um, of um, vintners, etc. being um, paying. They're all, all about, the, all about those wild. issues. And now Sorry. they're not paying student nurses. Like, to top it all off, just before Christmas, go out with a bang, I guess. Just, like, adding to it all. It's just... And this government wasn't even voted for. That's the crazy part about it all. Like, do you know the way they, like, scrape together this, like, the bottom of the barrel? Oh, just awful stuff. And now, like, however many months later, we're still having to deal with the fallout of this, like, cobbled together government that didn't even get enough votes between them to actually... Yeah. Uh, format, you know. But I'd reflect, kind of reflect back on that and the whole kind of war on Neffet and science that, mm-hmm. you know, Varad k- kicked off a few months ago. And in many ways, you know, they've kind of succeeded in pushing Neffet back into the background. And as always, they seem to be ably assisted by the mainstream media, it just seemed to uh, ex- accept that agenda. But then, you know, in contrast, there was an a an opinion poll during the week showing really high levels of support of going for a zero COVID uh, strategy in Ireland, you mm-hmm. know, and, and uh, you know, g- going through the sort of very sharp lockdown that, that we'd need to, uh, to do to achieve that. But, you know, that that, that silent majority is there d- despite everything and it gets so little voice, mm-hmm. um, unfortunately. Uh, and in contrast, you know, that that strategy of trying to sideline effort that Radker kicked off has they've had some you know PR victories in some in some respects in pushing them into the background and you know that's uh, and you know, we're going to go through probably a lot of lockdowns into the new year as a result once again before we do finally get through this with the with the help of vaccines and I th- like I think a common theme in a lot of these scandals is you know a lot of it is driven by them protecting the interests of the rich in whatever kind of guise. Like, that's what they're driven by. Mm. They don't care. You know what I mean? They can't possibly do anything in terms of the student nurses, but obviously they should give more money to greyhounds. They Mm. have to, under pressure, to open the pubs and the restaurants and the hotels um, and everything else. And I do think you get a glimpse of kind of how capitalism operates. Um, So we, we say that, you know, the capitalist state and the government, they represent the interests of the capitalist class. But they obviously don't do that just by like telepathy. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. S- somewhere these people have to meet to transfer. And it's not like they meet in some like, you know, Bilderberg group or whatever, mm-hmm. but it's like precisely things like Golfgate, whereby the common worldview of the business class, the politicians from the establishment parties, the judges are also there, the lobbyists are there. That's, that's where all that actually kind of takes place. Um, do you know what I mean? I, I mm-hmm. saw someone make a comment on Twitter, and I it's not directly related, but someone made a, you know, a smart point that like, oh yeah, now you know why they, all these people go to, go, go, go to the golf dinner together whenever then the government is voting to go for the 2% pay increase for all the judges later mm-hmm. on. And again, like, I don't think that's directly related, but it's a reflection of like, if, if these people were meeting with student nurses and representative student nurses, they'd say, no, no, we should be paying the student nurses. And the, the other thing that's striking though is like, if there wasn't COVID, 
could a government weather this level of like controversy? Like, do you know what I mean? A minister losing yeah. ministers left, right, and center. Ministers having to be dragged in, answering questions in front of the doll. That's some of them the make thing. it through. Some of them don't. Like, it's so the most we can do about like all of these fuck ups have just been like you know give out on Instagram mm-hmm. or Twitter or whatever and sign a petition and stuff like that. And like, yeah, that's all well and good. We can give out about it here, but like, yeah, that I wonder has that like let them kind of you know swipe things under the rug and like the nature of the cycle of the media, you know, like the mother and baby homes was in the media for maybe like a few days and then, you know, they just moved on to the next thing straight away or whatever. So like not yeah. being able to protest, not being able to like mobilize amongst the left and stuff like that. Like, I think that has had a big impact in like why this government has been able to limp itself on until like, I don't know when, like, I don't, I don't know if it will last in many year. I don't know. Like who knows how, how they're going yeah. to be imaginative next to kind of keep themselves together. I don't know. Yeah, because I, I, I remember the, the, the time of the mother and baby home and the uh, sealing of the records mm-hmm. and the phenomenal response to, to, to that. And the um, I think it was Dave Gibney I heard on another podcast saying that I think the water charges when they did one of the uplift uh, petitions got to about 60 or 70,000 uh, signatures on that. Mm-hmm. But they got way over 100,000 mm-hmm. on the mm-hmm. signatures in relation to the, the, uh, the records. And, you know, I remember there was a particular... Saturday in the heat of that and I thought to myself at the time if it wasn't for COVID I think you'd have seen one of the biggest and maybe the biggest demonstration ever seen in Ireland such mm-hmm. was the level of, of anger so I do think that they have got a lot of air cover from COVID in terms of uh, responses to uh, to things like that and I think the student nurses you know would have a lot of heat mm-hmm. in it that you'd, you'd see in the streets if it wasn't for the current situation as well And the, and the other kind of downside of mobilizations from the left being very limited is that obviously you know the the radical far right have stepped into that space to some degree and have organized bigger you know we've talked about it previously but bigger kind of far right mobilizations than otherwise Um, and i think a part of that is because you know there's a layer of disaffected people who are angry at what the government is doing Mm -hmm. for a mixture of good reasons and bad reasons kind of mixed up for a layer of people and then it's the right that's out there mobilizing and people want to go and protest. And these people are unfortunately skeptical about COVID or whatever. Um, and that's that's danger. So that's actually another thing that's happened in the last week that's mm-hmm. worth referencing is the launch of Lakela, um, which oh, is yeah. something we've been working on with a whole range of left organizations, trade unionists, uh, campaign groups, um, a whole broad, broad range. Um, we kind of had a, our public launch last Thursday, I mm-hmm. think. So people should check out on Facebook, Lakela DND, which stands for Diversity Not Division, mm-hmm. not Dungeons and Dragons, and uh, Lakela <laughs> DND on on Twitter, and I think on Instagram and other stuff like that too. Yeah, we'll definitely link that. Um, I just remembered as well. I remember when Eamon Ryan said the N word in the doll for the first time in decades. Oh <laughs> Do you yeah! Remember? Oh my like, god! I remember his face when he went, like he clearly thought about saying it and then he was like, yeah, I'm going to say it. Thinking that he's like contributing to like awareness or wokeness or something. What a fool. Like when that was one yeah. of the more minor fuck ups of this government, that just shows you this. Like, do you know what I mean? When that was like. Was he even in the government at that stage? Was that before or after the government was, was formed? He was in. He was, that was just was after, that was after he'd fallen asleep. After the yeah, vote. Okay. Yeah. So like, <laughs> that's just cherry on top of it all. That sums yeah. up this fucking government since it started. Um, so something actually just I, I saw in in the North just yesterday, which illustrates a point about Sinn Féin, is Sinn Féin voted against a, people might have seen this, voted against a motion against privatisation of housing from mm-hmm. people for profit. I think it was on Belfast City Council. 
And then you've all these Sinn Féin people online being like, no, no to left on left kind of violence, like, um, because they're being criticised for doing the exact opposite of what they would have done at this stage in the in the South. Um, mm. And I think that's the problem, is that the expectation in Sinn Féin, the reason that people are looking to Sinn Féin is because they want left-wing policies, they want a serious break with the establishment. Um, but then when they're in government, and obviously they will say, well, it's in the context of Storm and blah, 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 but it, it's a city council-like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, city councils have certain powers, or, like, it's a bit like, in South Dublin County Council, it's the same position, you don't have loads of power, you're only a council, but you can still choose what model of housing you're going to pursue, are you going to pursue a model which is, like, off the books and which drives towards privatisation, or not? Um, so it, it illustrates that contradiction mm-hmm. that is an important uh, factor. That is very true. That is, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm taking a break for <laughs> the rest of 2020 and then maybe we'll all start again in 2021 and we'll have renewed enthusiasm and yeah, um, we'll laugh. Call a halt. Just, just, you're just like saying 2020 is over now. Yeah. <laughs> on, the, on, the, on the 8th of December, that's the end. Well, Happy like, New Year. Happy New Year. We did our wrap up episode. <laughs> yeah. so that, yeah, I'm bored. It's over now. <laughs> the Jesse's wrap up episode. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Um, and on that note, we will end there for the week. Um, yeah. Thanks, Des and Paul. Um, and thanks you're everyone welcome. for listening at home. Um, yeah. Do check out the Patreon if you're interested in supporting us. Um, and yeah, we'll be back again next week with another episode. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.